0: Hi guys welcome back to the original judo podcast this week it is not me having a rant on my own into nothing I am joined by well she's a returning guest I am delighted to welcome onto the show European champion Gemma Howe Gemma how are you doing it's been two or three years since we chatted on the podcast two or three weeks since I've seen you at judo Uh, yes hi
1: um thank you very much for having me back on
0: No, not at all. You've had um, quite the career since 2019. Um, I think when we last spoke, you were about to have your hair cut for the Little Princess Trust.
1: Yeah, I still remember that. That feels like a million years ago. Um, My hair's grown back now. So no, I'm very glad that was something that I wanted to do. So happy with
0: that. (laughs) Amazing. And then obviously since then, uh, we've had covid we've had a Tokyo Olympics, we've had a Commonwealth Games and we've had a European Championships. Now I'm sure I've got the order slightly wrong there, but you've had quite an amazing last few years. Like how, how was that? That's that, what a terrible question to start. Like, at, <laughs> <laughs> um, Coming into at 2019, where were you at? Were you going into COVID? Were you at that stage? You were vying with Sally Conway for the number one spot at 70 kilos. Is that right?
1: Okay, yeah. Until you said all about all of that, I completely forgot where I was in 2019. But that was bringing back lots of memories now. Gosh, that's a while ago. Yeah, so 2019, obviously, uh, this, that was before COVID all happened and before we knew that the Olympics was then going to be in 2021. Uh, so, yeah, I was kind of trying to go head to head with Sally. I remember she was ahead. And then I think I managed to like peek ahead for a tiny bit and then she got a world medal and went back ahead. Um so obviously for me it was very much the chase trying to overtake Sally and uh get selected and qualify. Um and then obviously Sally retired and like um, more happened. So yeah, it was uh quite an eventful roller coaster of the year.
0: It ends up in uh Tokyo Olympics. Now you were I mean, in in many respects, you've had like the two dream Olympics, London 2012, the home games, and then the home of judo games, which obviously was very, very different because of the aftermath of COVID. Like what, what was Tokyo like?
1: And yeah, obviously I was very grateful to go there and it was still an amazing experience, but obviously it was a bit of a a strange experience and almost like when you're in the zone anyway and when you're on fight day you kind of heads in the game and I didn't really notice it as much and then I look back at a picture I think my coach had taken me at just before I walked out um to the stadium and the stadium is empty and it's just eerie like looking at that picture because that is not what a judo competition is about it's about noise and support and excitement so looking back and seeing an empty stadium obviously like hear like a pin drop it's just uh, strange and it, it's sad that that happened but then at the same time obviously it's really lucky that in a situation like that we were still able to have the games and um, so very grateful I had that experience and yet like you said I feel so lucky that I had a home games um, which obviously you know what that feels like um, for during my career and also the home of judo games like it doesn't really get much better than that and I do think The next one, Paris, obviously, with judo being so big there, will also be an extremely epic Olympics.
0: Well, it's definitely starting to look like a really exciting running. Um, And I'm I'm sure we'll kind of come to that. But before we do, again, we're, we're still talking about the last year or so. And you've had an incredible ride. So back in, I want to say, April we had a European Championships um, and you picked up, well, you picked up the title. You you are European yeah. champion. Um, what is that experience like? Now, uh, and again, we're jumping over the fact you've, you've moved down weights. Let, uh, uh, hold on, this is going awfully wrong. I'm going to step back a bit. <laughs> what went into the decision to move from 70 kilos down to 63s? Uh,
1: so basically... I needed a break after the Olympics anyway, I think mentally. And then also I kind of used the opportunity to fix my ankle, which had been niggling at me for like two years and been pulling me out of competitions, carrying on, pulling out. And so that kind of needed to be fixed. I didn't want to start another cycle with an injury like that. Um, And then I never really wanted to move up in the first place to 70s. That was kind of like a decision made by my coach at the time, um, which then actually... I turned out to really enjoy because I really like food. So and then I got to eat my way up to 70 kilos, which was fantastic. I can't complain too much. Um, and then I got a European medal at 70. So I was like, okay, maybe it was the right thing to do. And then I just realized though, I was, especially after COVID when we didn't have access to the gym, I lost muscle mass. Um, I was still obviously trying to pick up bags of dog food in the garden and plant pots or whatever, like improvising, like everybody did. Um, but yeah, I couldn't maintain the muscle mass that I needed. And I'm fighting against people, obviously, that were coming down from 75 kilos who probably would have been that at the end of a competition day. And so I felt like I was just giving too much away. And so then obviously discussion with Jamie, my coach after and like the support team around me, like they thought that 60 freeze was the right thing to do. Uh, I think because I'd obviously put on some muscle mass, I'd not lost it all through COVID. Um, Making sixty-three kilos is actually a lot, lot, lot harder than I ever anticipated. <laughs> um, so yeah, I went from suddenly loving life, eating everything, ten meals a day, to feeling very sorry for myself and not eating very much at all, and doing all the extra morning runs on top of a full day of training.
0: So yeah, um, it's a challenge, that's for sure. <laughs> I hadn't, I hadn't really planned to kind of dig into this at all. But like, what's your your thoughts on kind of weight cutting you've you've obviously competed upper weight where you've had the opportunity to uh eat as you feel i guess yeah you all, you've competed at 57s and you you cut back <laughs> down to 63s like do judoka in order to be the most effective can be do they need to weight cut, or is it something it's an individual thing I 100%
1: think it's an individual thing um but just speaking of me, like I think this year showed that as much as this has been one of the hardest years making weight, results-wise, I've had some of the best results I've ever had in my life and the very best result I've had. Um, so obviously worked and paid off, and that's where, you, obviously, the sacrifices were worth it. Um, but, yeah, 100% think it's an individual thing because, obviously, in the lead-up to a competition, I was very much focused on the weigh-in. Like, I didn't really have... Sp- space in my head for the competition day because before I could even get to that competition I had to make sure that I was going to see 63 kilograms on the scales first um so that kind of just take your focus away from the preparation that may well be the ideal preparation which some people might prefer mm-hmm. uh so I think it definitely is individual and and yeah obviously it depends how well you make the weight as well so there was one time uh this year my nutritionist like helped pull me out of the competition basically as I think my shoulder was also bad at the time and then my skin folds were like nearly 40 which I think is as meant to be as low as it should be for women um, and I was barely eating anything and this was a week out and I was 67 kilos so I basically didn't really have any more fat to lose I didn't really have much more food to cut out because I was barely eating anything so what would have meant like sweating off nearly four kilos which isn't then ideal to then obviously go and compete the next day so that's one thing I learned this year is I do not understand my body at all because (laughs) it just went all over the shop like sometimes I made 63 kilos great and I didn't sweat off and then sometimes like that happened so yeah it was a lot more complicated than I thought moving down um but yeah so that just meant obviously then giving it time and then I think was that before or after i can't remember what competition that was before but it meant then it gave me time to get it right for the next one
0: and not rush it down love that like again such a part of the culture of the sport like it's such a complex topic but i think quite a lot of the time people decide to cut weight just because other people are cutting weight there's no real thought that goes into it it's it's part of the sport and they go therefore that must be right um (laughs) But it's yeah, it's great to hear that there's a whole decision-making process that you've you've gone through in order to to kind of get to that point, I guess.
1: Yeah, definitely, and I think it's really important. Like I sat down with the sports science team and my coach, and and it wasn't a decision I made overnight. Like it was a few different discussions and obviously weighing up all the different options. And I definitely think that is a culture that maybe does need to be changed in the sport. Like yes, it's a weight making sport doesn't or weight category sport but that doesn't mean that you have to necessarily cut a lot of kilos to be your best performance like sometimes fueling up can do just as well and I still got my second best result in 70 kilograms um and obviously I mean I used to fight at 57 kilograms I have no idea how I ever (laughs) that was even possible um but somehow I did and uh and I still obviously performed well then but not my best result so it's just no one can really say, like, what is the exactly the right answer because there's just so many different aspects in judo, which I think makes it obviously more exciting. But definitely think we need to kind of come away from the culture that, and especially not making it well, like, just sweating out loads of kilos means mm. you're going to fight better because it definitely is not the case.
0: So coming, coming back round, thank you, coming back round to the, the, the European Championships, you, you have a bit of a wild yeah at 63 kilos um you win a fight lose a fight in paris i think yeah um you have a great i want to was it israel tel aviv grand slam grand prix uh yeah
1: i think it might be that one (laughs) it was a grand slam because
0: it was my first grand slam final yeah and you you get to the final and you you lose to the japanese girl horikawa who won the worlds just recently uh, yeah
1: Possibly. i fought her again this year
0: okay Can't remember where. <laughs> i i had a good fight with them what what's your confidence like coming into the europeans uh so i actually remember it quite well so well my first one
1: first competition of the year i remember losing first fight and fighting terribly and like obviously being really disappointed with myself um But then I kind of felt like I'd not done a competition for six months. I'd not competed since the Olympics. That was like getting rid of the cobwebs. Like I was really rusty and getting back into it. And then I remember when I come to Paris, I felt back to me, like I felt like my performance was good. Like I made a mistake and lost the fight against the Dutch girl, but I knew it was a winnable fight. And so like, I was like, right, okay, I've got rid of the cobwebs now. I'm back to fighting. And then the third competition, obviously that was a, what, like a PB at the time, I'd not ever made a grand slam final before. Um, so I felt like I was back to being me and it was like the right decision to move down to 63s. Um, so that was all really good. But the day before the European Championships, I remember just thinking, I don't even know if I'm going to make the weight. And oh, wow. um, I think that was the most I'd ever sweated off. And all I was thinking was, I can't do this again in four weeks time for the competition after it I wasn't even thinking about the, the competition the big one the next day and I think actually maybe that is why I did my best performance because I wasn't stressing about the competition weeks before because it hadn't even crossed my mind I was just like I've just got to make this weight because I remember um I normally do like a judo sweat to make the weight or whatever and I did uh, the judo sweat and then I must have lost whatever Point six, point seven, and then I think I came back and I still had a k- kilo or point eight to go. Yeah. Um, I'm very dramatic. I don't normally sweat off, so that's a lot for me. Um, but I just still remember taking off the sweatsuit to weigh myself, and having to put that wet sweatsuit back on was one of the worst things I think I've ever done in my life. It was disgusting. Um, but yeah.
0: Oh, I remember it, so. those days. <laughs> I remember those days, and did not miss them. Um, no. <laughs> oh but that's so interesting though that and again uh, the reason I'm interested in it like part of my studies that we were talking about beforehand like I my research paper was in um yeah like the weight cutting in MMA and like the kind of psychosocial like underpinnings that kind of go into that and the role it plays so the role is uh like one of distraction which you're just talking about so for a lot of athletes, it can have this kind of role where it takes your attention away from maybe your preparation, but also takes a lot of the stress away because you're not looking at it. Uh, so I find it really interesting to hear you talking about that. that that's that's what, where I'm getting to with that. Yeah, and um, no, I
1: find it interesting hearing like how it is similar in other sports and other people think the same.
0: Um, so coming into the event, not focused on how you're fighting. You make weight. Uh, You have an awful incident with a sweatsuit. Uh,
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um,
0: And on the day, like, when did you know on the day that everything was going well? When did you get that feeling?
1: I don't think, uh, I'm not sure if I ever got that feeling. So I remember seeing the draw and just thinking, I kind of like laughed to myself because I just thought, I don't think I could have asked for a harder draw. If I'd tried, if I genuinely had been given the chance to pick the hardest draw, I could have. I think I might have picked that one because I think the, you have the
0: Portuguese uh, girl and then the Slovenian. Yeah, before I, I'd I even can't got to the quarterfinal,
1: but... yeah. So before I even got to the quarterfinal, I had like two world uh, silver medalists, and the second one, my second fight was obviously the current world silver medalist. Um, because I remember, uh I think Kelly asked me or someone asked me about my draw that day or the day uh the day of the draw and I said just that that I think it's quite a hard draw and, and they were obviously like, no, like no negatives or whatever. And I was like, no, I don't mean it in the negative. Like that not one way puts me off giving everything and I know I'm capable. And so I never doubted myself. Um, but I do think like I don't think people would be surprised if I didn't make it past my first fight or my second fight. Um but that kind of just went to the back of my head it was literally as any other competition day right I've got the Portuguese fight first sit down with Jamie watch some fights obviously i fought her a few times before um and I fought her in 70 kilos actually so we both uh made the crazy decision to diet um <laughs> and then yeah so then obviously first fight out of the way and then knew that meant then I had the Slovenian second fight um again do a little bit of video talk and then yeah I don't know through her because I mean she's obviously a very good fighter and when I've fought her in training camps like she's very cool and laid back and she still fought that um, in the competition like when she was a score down so I was a little bit nervous like what what's she like holding back here um, but now I managed to keep the Rosari till the end of the fight so that was really good and then I do remember in the break seeing uh, Rena Re- Birch in the toilets actually when we're washing our hands and I thought think afterwards now like maybe that was a good omen so obviously she's European champion um so I was like maybe that was like some good vibes there Love um
0: that.
1: but no it's just literally like any other competition <laughs> day passing
0: up. of the generations in the toilet in the bathroom
1: yeah no I was very grateful for that
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh amazing how like how do you get yourself focused on on that morning like how do you deal with the doubt? you say you just put it to the back of your mind but like is there anything you do particularly to to, to cope with that uh
1: so I think I have like some phrases that I say over in my head that I can't ever tell anyone um <laughs> just to like reinforce uh like obviously I know what I've done before so I might have to like remind myself of some of the people that I've beaten before and some of the results I've got before so I know like on my day if everything goes right I'm capable of getting to the top of the podium but I don't think I ever once let myself believe that I would have got to the top of the podium of the European Championships um it's just the case of literally thinking about what is right in front of me which is one fight at a time um and I do struggle with nerves quite a lot so I just same as always put the headphones in and we'll talk to people I think I kind of mix between going quiet and putting my headphones into talking a lot because I know um some people in the panel or in the tunnel, I mean, before they go out to fight, are very quiet, don't talk to the coach. Um, but I think Jamie's is obviously very good. He gets to know us individually. And I will literally talk about I don't even know anything that's going on around. I think uh, that's when sometimes my distraction is at its worst. But I do think it kind of then calms me a little bit.
0: I love that. Um, what's it like going out for a European final? nerve wracking 100%. I was
1: so scared. It's obviously, it's, I remember uh, when you first win the semi-final, I was like an amazing feeling because that meant I was getting a European medal. And I was like, no one can take that away from me now. Um, But then I was like, to be this close to getting a European gold medal, I don't want to mess that up. Like I don't get this opportunity. I might never get this opportunity again. I can't mess this opportunity up so I was so scared um yeah because I think yeah not one bit of me was like relax or anything I'll definitely put a lot of pressure on myself but again I knew I could do it and I didn't want to waste the opportunity um so I just had to try and think about concentrate on what I needed to do to win as opposed to letting it kind of take over me and like getting too emotional um and then yeah I did like somehow I threw it, and then I don't know how I managed to throw again. And I don't, I'm not a big thrower. That's not my thing. So to win a European uh, final with two throws like that, I honestly, yeah, it was a good feeling.
0: Well, obviously many congratulations. It's an incredible achievement. Knowing that it's like, in many respects, it's a really big year. You know, Europeans, Commonwealths, World Championships at, at that stage, like, how what where's your head at when you come out of that event knowing that you're European champion? What I know you you you've obviously got these other events lined up, but like
1: yeah,
0: what's going through your mindset? Do you still do your event four weeks later? Do you do you change your calendar based on that?
1: Uh I do know. I think we had the week off, and I think <laughs> I tried. You to, had a week go...
0: off. Oh, you spoil yeah. yourself. We actually
1: we went crazy and we got a week off. And I didn't even go that crazy with what I was eating, but the scales went a little bit high. <laughs> so um, I think I ended up, I think I did make the decision with my coach because the next competition wasn't Olympic points for Paris. Mm-hmm. So we made the decision not to do that one. And I think I can't remember if my shoulder was bad then, like it's kind of been in and out all year, my shoulder. Um so then I did the next one, which was, I feel like it was Hungary or a European, um, I think that was a Grand Slam. Yeah. And um, so it was like, let's give it eight weeks and get my weight down gradually. Because again, didn't want to do the whole crashing thing and then rebound up straight after. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I did have a little bit of chocolate and stuff after the uh, Europeans. And I, I remember now I had actually, uh, yeah, I say I didn't eat crazy, but I had a lot of food things planned that week because when I'm dieting, I like to... Afternoon tea and book meals for after I've weighed in. It kind of oh, gets amazing. me through. I
0: love that. Yeah. So and yeah. then obviously
1: uh, that just meant it was extra be- extra special because then I was actually having something to celebrate for, and I'd kind of earned the meal a little bit more.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Um. So yeah, I think it was Budapest you did, but obviously it <clears throat> yeah. was like five weeks after that. It was the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. Yeah. Had you always intended to compete in the comics? Was that so it? Been effectively a home, a home, home games.
1: Yeah, literally because it's in the Midlands. Uh, so I remember when I missed the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow because um, of a knee injury at the time, and thinking because obviously the Commonwealth Games doesn't mean anything for the like Olympic points or anything like that on the IGF ranking list. So I didn't feel like I was missing out that much, and I wasn't too bothered. And then afterwards, I realised what an experience it was for people and how much they actually loved it and took from that event so then since then I really like kind of made it my mission to add it to the bucket list to get to a Commonwealth Games and obviously a home one it doesn't get better than that I do feel really lucky that a home one fell during my um like uh, a competitive career and then when I had the discussion because obviously I would have been top well I think at the after coming after at the Olympics last year, I was maybe number one in GB. Mm-hmm. So I was stood in a good chance of getting to the Commonwealth Games at 70 kilograms. So then that was something I did think about when and mentioned to my coach, when he said about moving me down to 63s, I knew I'd be starting at the bottom. And obviously Amy and Lucy already had points on the world ranking list uh, at 63s. So yes, it was a good decision for Paris in the, in two years time, but it wasn't a good decision for the Commonwealth Games because I could have basically been, unless I had a good year, given up my place at the Commonwealth Games. Uh, so that was at the back of my head. And then I just had to think, well, the bigger picture is Paris, that's the right thing. So I thought, and then I think I was going into the competitions at the start of the year with a lot of pressure, thinking I need to perform well at these because if I don't, I'm not going to get to the Commonwealths. And obviously I was not do, didn't do well in the first couple. And then I think I just took that pressure off and I thought, this is about performance. I need to stop thinking about the Commonwealth. And then actually that's when I did better. Um, And so it it was a bonus getting there. I think at the start of the year, like I might not have even been thinking I was getting there. So then to come away with a silver medal, I was very happy
0: with. No, that's amazing. And again, 63s of all the fields was an incredibly tough, event like uh I, prior prior to the games when there were yourself and lucy in there you know you've got the world number one the world number four in the canadian the european champion you've got a super strong um i want to say australian girl yeah yeah Hecker. australian um obviously lucy drops out but yeah you're left with bosham and pinard the uh australian girl um it's a it's a it, it turned out to be a really tough category.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely was. It, um, cause I think the, the Australians won like a grand slam or a grand prix before. So she's a really obviously strong, uh, judo player and the Canadian was current Olympic bronze medalist. Um, so yeah, it was uh, a tough, a tough day. So, um, Yeah, I was obviously, could tell from my reaction after the semi-final, very happy to beat the Australian. She's tough. I'd never fought her in competition before, I don't think. If I have, it will have been before 70s days. (laughs) Um, And then, um, yeah, when I fought her in training camps, it was a very hard fight. So very good right-hander. So I was really pleased with that win. And then uh, the final obviously the canadian i'd actually beaten her this year earlier on in the year so i knew she was beatable and it was a real close fight i feel like i could feel you know when someone's getting tired and i could feel her getting tired and i did think right i can do this and then her very nice knee was it came out and she arm locked me so that was rubbish um but yeah yeah i was happy with silver
0: it's it's the second time you've had a major event in front of like a domestic crowd yeah what's that like
1: so honestly if i could like put the noise in a cup and keep it forever and i walked out for the final it was insane i really would do that because i remember obviously that lady introduces you on uh, as you walk out to fight and says your name and a little bit about you and i did not hear any of that because the crowd were just crazy and they really do it's like an extra lung like give you that extra energy and I think I just got goosebumps and I just had to try and like obviously use that channel out as extra energy and even when I was getting arm locked I was thinking I can't tap because I can hear them all and I was just like I can't tap but I did I did think I didn't want my arm to break (laughs) Um, but no it really is a massive advantage and I feel like in judo it can make a massive difference
0: again you come out of that another like incredible experience I'm sure you'd have loved the final result to go the other way um at that stage uh are you planning on fighting the world or you've already talked about how your shoulder's giving you trouble all year had you already made a decision that you would step back after this event
1: uh so basically I didn't really know until the Commonwealth like how bad my shoulder was or anything because I hurt it before the European Championships. Then obviously because I competed on it at the European Championships and did my best day ever, it was the case of, well, maybe it's not that bad. Um, But actually, I think looking back now, I smashed my head open um, by pulling a a gate, a massive metal gate onto it just before the European Championships, Um, which is really stupid. That just sums up how clumsy I am. Um I feel there's that, a
0: story there. What was that? Um, what?
1: <laughs> Yeah, I've just kind of skipped a bit out, but yeah, um very clumsy. And so then I had uh stitches on my head, like butterfly stitches. and then I couldn't do any randori into the lead up to the like in the European prep camp. I was just kind of doing pressure training but not any um full-on fighting. And I think maybe that was actually a blessing in disguise and meant that I didn't make my shoulder any worse, that then when I came to fight on the competition day, it was okay which then maybe disguised how bad it was. Because then I remember, I think, was it hungry? I was fighting and it was like after, in between fights, I could feel it. Obviously, when you're out there doing the competition, you don't notice it. You've got the adrenaline. I um, feel like that's the best painkiller ever. Um, so then it was really sore after that competition and I couldn't do Andori again. Like it was too sore. And you kind of doubt yourself. You're like, do I just need to suck it up? And then a kind of would someone would literally just pull my arm a bit and make me cry. And I was like, no, I'm I'm not that much of a wimp, like it is really sore. So then when we got to the village at the Commonwealth Games, I'd got an MRI. So found out like there was ligament and tendon damage, which was why it hurt. Um so again, in the lead up to the Commonwealth, I couldn't really do any randori. Like uh, the few days before I tried to do some like kind of randori where I'm just keeping this shoulder back and not using it, just so I'd remembered how to do judo before I stepped on the mat yeah. um. so we always knew that was going to be the case and obviously spoke about painkillers but I, I just knew there's no better painkiller than adrenaline of a competition day so I'd rather not have to think about all that um. and then got on with it and then I think we discussed before I fought at the commonwealth that so I was going to need a period of time after um, and actually so I had a holiday book to France uh, to see my auntie and uncle in the South of France after the Commonwealth. And the doctor said two weeks rest is actually probably the best thing that you could have right now. So that was really perfectly planned. Um, <laughs> and then I think it just took a bit longer than we thought uh, I was hoping to be back to the world championships. Um, and then I got COVID as well, which maybe set me back another week. Uh, so that definitely didn't help. Um, and I thought I was invincible, found out I'm not invincible uh, to the COVID. Um, but yeah, so I've literally, the last few weeks now, started doing mandori again. And then I um, hurt my wrist just to just because to, I really wanted something else broken. Um, last week, doing a clean. I've done a million cleans in my life. Never had this happen before. But yeah, somehow managed to bend my wrist back with the bar on it. Um, and the hospital said, because apparently with the scaphoid, it doesn't always show up uh if it's broken or not so they thought it might be broken so i've been in a cast all week i'm right-handed honestly i have been dramatic it is so horrible (laughs) i couldn't do anything um so yeah today got the nice call from dr Jo, and she even said like for once i've got some good news for you from a scan um which is very great to hear it's not broken and the cast came straight off um so yeah i don't think i'll be doing any judo this week but literally ASAP I will be back in a judo suit so uh, yeah this year has just been a bit of a mentally
0: challenging one injuries wise what's it like watching the world's like knowing that you're yeah like flying as you're coming into it you're like in such great form and then being forced to sit out what's it like watching that thinking so like- I
1: told myself before it happened I wouldn't watch it because it's kind of like torturing myself, um, and I think actually, yeah, I did. I did manage to restrain it. I came off all social media and um, didn't watch it, and then I think got a message from my auntie in the family chat. My family loved judo more than I loved judo. I think, <laughs> um, but like the results, and and that it is like a hunger. Like you do judo because you love it. Like it's it's not something you can just kind of go through the motions with. Um, and I realized as well, obviously, I've beaten uh the Canadian and the Portuguese girl this year who both got medals. So I know that like I'm capable, like and it's it's hard to watch it. But obviously like everybody's capable in judo like that's what makes it exciting. But it yeah, it just when you know it's so close, like um yeah it does hurt a little bit watching it from home. Um
0: obviously uh how do you how do you stay connected when you're injured so again like um plug plug the show from back in 29 i think it was episode 39 you you've had a lot of injuries through your career how do you stay connected to judo and
1: um, definitely surrounding yourself with the right people helps so obviously they've got a really good rehab squad at judo it's kind of called the rehab squad group got the whatsapp chat and everything um and i just think kind of being around of a judo people do in the same situation kind of struggling going through like the mental challenge of wanting to do judo but not being able to be on the mat just yet mm-hmm. um helps and then you kind of obviously the exercises you're doing might be judo specific to obviously prepare you as soon as possible to be back doing judo um but yeah they still try and keep like the condition if they can do the conditioning together that will happen um just that you're still connected and you still feel part of the judo team and I think that's really important and obviously like Jamie's amazing he still keeps in contact all the time and keeps in the loop so you still feel connected basically and like you still know you're important an important part of the team that is hopefully going to come back and get medals
0: love that um and we, we're kind of reaching the end. So thank you so much for all that. Like what's next for you? Obviously we're 18 months out, maybe two years, less than two years now than from yeah. Paris. Yeah. Um, we're You're in a, again, women's judo in, in GB at the moment is super strong. You know, we've got European <clears throat> champion and well, she's, I think, former world number one now, like Lucy as well is absolutely flying at the moment. Um, like what's next for you? How has it been in that kind of like really intense competitive setup?
1: Yeah, I think uh sometimes in judo that is actually when you get the best results. Like obviously, um me and Sally kind of going head to head last year. Um, or last cycle. Mm-hmm. And then Sally got some incredible results and I also got some of like my best results ever. Uh so I think sometimes that can bring out the best in both of you. So at least for gb they know that whoever's going to go is likely to do well so it kind of puts gb in a good place and um, but no it's kind of healthy competitiveness i think that will yeah bring out good results all around
0: and i, I know you're kind of managing like another career or like uh, working towards another career alongside this you you didn't you, you, you teach your training
1: yeah uh so maths teacher training and obviously discovering how hard it is to be a teacher <laughs> lots of respect for all the teachers um yeah i feel like i didn't really have a choice with that because basically all my family are maths teachers um <laughs> so yeah that's in the blood but um yeah finding it very hard at the moment to train as well as doing that because that's taken up a lot of hours um but, yeah, maybe you ha- might have to pause the teacher training, I feel like, because, yeah, struggling at the moment to do both. But we'll see. Yeah, not closing any doors. But I think the big one soon is the Masters, obviously, because that's uh, big points and that's at the end of the year.
0: Oh, Well, Gemma, thank you so much for your time coming back on the show and just, yeah, letting me and the two or three people who listen uh know all about your your journey and that kind of stuff it's absolutely amazing really appreciate it um I'm gonna plug your Twitter I don't know if you're on Instagram it it's uh I think it's at Gemh7. So if you want to follow Gemma on Twitter, I don't know about Instagram. Have you got a different handle for Instagram?
1: Uh yeah I think I'm just Gemma Hal for Insta, but yeah Twitter's my fave. I love I love tweeting. Um and yeah thank you for listening to me rambling on I know I like to <laughs>
0: Talk a (laughs) lot. No, it's been absolutely amazing. Guys, I hope you've enjoyed this show. Like, subscribe, all that nonsense, and we'll catch you soon.